My name's John Redmond, and I'm the associate pastor at First Baptist Church in Pasadena, Texas. And today on Peace by Believing, we're going to be thinking about how we can achieve life's most important goal. Now, before we get into how to achieve life's most important goal, we have to determine what life's most important goal is. And that would be an interesting uh, question to ask to you today, what would you say is the most important goal that you could possibly set in your life? Now, as you hear that question and it just kind of comes to you out of the blue, perhaps you think, well, my number one goal in life should be to be financially secure, or my number one goal in life should be to take care of my family, or my number one goal in life should be able to retire 10 years early. Well, those are all good goals, I suppose, but none of those are the most important goal. The most important goal in any of our lives should be to know Jesus Christ as well as we can. I think about what the Apostle Paul said in the book of Philippians, chapter number 3 and verse 10. He said that I may know Him and the power of His resurrection and the fellowship of His suffering. Now, when Paul said that, he already knew Jesus. He was already a Christian. But what he was saying is, I want to know Jesus better. I want to know Him more intimately and more closely than I currently do. And so, on today's program, we're going to be thinking about how we can know Jesus better than we already do. And so if you have your Bible, I would invite you to open it to James chapter 4, the book of James in the New Testament, chapter number 4, and we're going to be thinking about how we can achieve life's greatest goal. What I want to mention this morning are three requirements for having the right goal. And we see that right out of the Bible. First of all, if, if we're going to have the right goal in life, we must have a right attitude towards the world a right attitude towards the world. Now, we live in this world. We live on planet Earth. Most of us live in Harris County, Texas. We live in the world, and that's just where God has placed us. But we're going to have to have the right attitude towards the world, and James talks about that in chapter 4 and verse number 4. And into that verse, James says this, Do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God. And so in other words, if we get too close to the world, it's like our relationship with the world will drive us away from God. In fact, the Bible says friendship with the world is enmity with God. Whoever, therefore, wants to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Now, nobody here today wants to be an enemy of God. I've never even met anybody that would say they wanted to be an enemy of God. And yet James says, if you get too close to the world, that's exactly what's going to happen. You're going to be, not only will you not be a friend of God, you will be an enemy of God. Now, what is he talking about? What is, what is wrong with the world? I mean, God created the world. God put us in the world. I mean, what's wrong with the world? When the Bible talks about world in this sense, it's talking, first of all, about the fact that the world has a different value system than God has. 
God has a value system that if we do certain things, they honor Him and we put ourselves in a position to be blessed by being obedient to God. God, God's value system has to do with what is for his best interest, for what, what is for our best interest, and what would serve everybody well over the long haul. The world system is just the opposite of that. The world is not concerned about God. The world is not thinking about God. You watch TV shows today. Watch movies today. There's very little in there at all about God. In fact, there are things in there that are making fun of God. There are things in there that are trying to get us to laugh at the things of God. And so the world has a different value system. The world's value system consists largely of fame. So the world would say to us, what you need to do in life is go out and make a name for yourself. You need to be known. You need to do something and draw some attention to yourself. You need to let the world know that you're here, and you need to let the world know that you matter, and somebody needs to take notice of you. So the world system says, hey, pursue a life of fame. The world says what you need to do is pursue a life of fortune. Make as much money as you can. I mean, get out there, work hard, make money, buy things, and live it up. The world says to us, what you need to do is realize life is short. And you need to squeeze every ounce of life out of it. You need to just, you know, as, as, as the old saying goes, you know, eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow we die. So for however long you're here, just do whatever makes you happy. If you have a hobby or if you have something, just do what makes you happy. So all these things are in opposition to God. Because God's not in heaven saying, okay, well, here's what I want to do with John Redmond. I want to make him famous. I want to get him as much money as he can. I want him to have many years he has. And God knows that number. I don't. But God says, okay, he has X number of years. I want him just to go out there and go to as many ball games as he can and take as many trips as he can. I just want him to do what makes him happy. That's not how God thinks. God looks at my life and God says, okay, there's John. And he does the same thing for you. And God says about me, I created him. And here's what I want him to do. I want him to learn to trust me with every fiber of his being. I want him to be obedient to me. Everything I tell him to do, I want him to do it. I have a plan for his life. I want him to, in my particular case, I want him to spend his years serving me, preaching sermons, telling people how to be saved, helping encourage anybody however he can, reaching as many people as he can. This is what I, but God would say, even more than that, I want John on his time on earth to get as close to me as he possibly can. I want him to be conformed into my image so that John is a good reflection of me so that his life is what I would want it to be. But see, the world says, you mean you're going to set out as your life's goal to be as close to God as you possibly can, to be as much like Jesus as you can in your relationships, in your actions, in your attitudes, in your words, and how you deal with people. The world says, that's crazy. Eat, drink, and be merry for tomorrow you die. Get out there and get known. Get out there and make some money. Get out there and have a good time. Get out there and do what makes you happy. And so this is why the scripture says, if you become a friend of the world, you're going to become an enemy of God because they're going in two separate directions. So when I say we have to have a right attitude towards the world, we have to realize that, that there's different value systems. But also what this means is we have to realize that the world as we know it, Planet Earth is passing away. 
I mean, it is not forever. The Bible is clear about that. It says that one day this earth is going to pass away. It's going to be gone. Now, it's interesting. Recently, as I've been driving through town, I have seen several establishments, several businesses, places that I have been in the past, probably places you have been in the past, and even a few years ago on some of these places, they were some of the nicest and uh, most respected places in our city. And yet today, uh, not, it's not that way at all. For example, years ago, I used to exercise at 24-hour fitness on Spencer Highway, the corner of Spencer and Preston, and it was a fine place to work out. Well, I've been drive, I drive by that place every now and then, and I want you to notice what 24-hour fitness looks like now. Look, it's overgrown, it's closed, the name's half off the building, there are no cars in the parking lot. What I'm saying is a place that used to be the center of exercise and fitness and to a large extent conversation in Pasadena with a certain group of people, it's no longer even there. Now, another place not far from the church is Baywood Country Club. There was a beautiful golf course there. This country club was one, I mean, the wedding receptions were there. I've spoken at a rotary club there before, been there for other events, many of you have. On your way home today, if you go down Red Bluff and look back at Baywood Country Club, this is what you're going to see today. It's grown up, it's, it's closed down, the, the things are all grown up over it. And I drive by that sometime and I think, you know, one of these days, that's what my house is going to be like. It's going to just be grown up. I mean, it's, it kind of makes you not even want to mow your yard or paint your house. I mean, you just say, hey, it's, a, it's temporary anyway. Well, but one day, my point is... For you old-time Pasadena people, you know that that used to be one of the nicest places in town. And now look at it. Well, see, that's why James says, if you become too close to the world, you're going to be an enemy of God because you will be attaching yourself to something that has no lasting value. Why? Because the world is passing away. And what, what, what I'm saying is when you drive along and see something like that, it should be a reminder to you that these things that we think are always going to be here, that we value and that we cherish and treasure, they're passing away so we can't get too attached. For those of you who've lived in the Houston area a long time, you remember back in the day when the Astrodome was built, the eighth wonder of the world. You drive by the Astrodome today on 610, here's what you're going to see. It's shut down. It has been uh, topped by the ninth wonder of the world, by NRG Stadium. I mean, people are now trying to figure out, what do we do with the dome? Do we tear it down? Do we refurbish? Do we make it a hotel, an event? What do we... The point I'm making is something that at one time was the nicest sporting venue in the nation. Now the city is trying to figure out, what are we going to do with this? It, the world is passing away. And so if we get too close to the world... We are attaching ourselves to something that is passing away. So first of all, we need a right attitude toward the world. You still listen? Say amen. amen. Now, if we're going to have a right attitude towards God and a, a, the primary goal is to know God as well we, as we can, not only do we need a right attitude toward the world, we need a right attitude towards God. In other words, when we think about God, we need to think about God with the right attitude. Now, back to James chapter 4, look in verse 7. James says, therefore, submit to God. In other words, in light of the fact that the world is passing away, what are we to do? Submit to God. 
Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Lament and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord and he will lift you up. What is the Bible saying? It is saying if we're going to have the right goal in life, which is to know God and to be close to God. We have to have a right attitude towards God. What does that mean? It means that we have to have a seriousness about God and the things of God. Most of us probably need to take ourselves less seriously and take God more seriously. To have a, ser- to have a reverence for God, that God is holy that God is, is to be worshipped, that God is to be adored, that God is to be obeyed, and that God is to be followed. We should, the right attitude toward God means that we, we want to be close to God. We want to be right with God. We're not flippant. We're not irreverent about God. We don't take God's name in vain. We don't say little things about God and then laugh. No, we're, there's a, we're, we're not serious about ourselves, but we are serious about God and about our relationship with Him. I was reading an article that Rick Warren had written, Rick Warren, the pastor of Saddleback Church in Southern California, and he was telling about a man named Bill Bright. Most likely that name is not as familiar to you as Rick Warren's name or a Billy Graham or somebody like that, but Bill Bright was a wonderful Christian man. He's in heaven now, but he started Campus Crusade for Christ. The whole idea of that ministry was so that uh, college students could learn about Christ on their college campuses. He came out, his ministry made the film, the Jesus film, and many people watched that. It's a wonderful film. Many people were saved by watching that film. And he also, in what he's most known for, he wrote the little gospel booklet or the little track, The Four Spiritual Laws. And in that gospel track, he explained how to be saved. You have to know that God loves you. You have to know that you've sinned. You have to know that Jesus died to pay for your sins, and you have to receive Jesus Christ into your heart. The four spiritual laws. He wrote that, and those have been distributed by the untold millions, not only throughout the United States, but all around the world. Studies from his ministry revealed that through Campus Crusade for Christ, the Jesus film, and four spiritual laws, over 150 million people came to know Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord. That, those numbers are staggered. That's roughly half the population of the United States that God used him to reach. And so one day, Rick Warren was talking to Bill Bright, and he said, how in the world, why in the world, did God use you and bless your ministry in such an amazing way? And undoubtedly, Bill Bright said back to him, well, you know, that's God's business. You know, I don't know why God chose me and the ministry that I started to have such a far-reaching impact on the world. He said, all I know is this, and he said this to uh, Rick Warren. He said, when I was a young man, I made a contract with God. I literally wrote it out and signed my name at the bottom. And here's what the contract said. From this day forward, I am a slave of Jesus Christ. From this day forward, I am a slave of Jesus Christ. And he signed his name, and I guess he dated that. And he said to Rick Warren, he said, once I had made that commitment that this is what I was going to do with my life, that God had given me the gift of life, 
I don't know how long it'll last, but however long or however brief, I made a commitment when I was a young man that I would be a slave of Jesus Christ, that I was not going to spend my life seeing if I could be famous, how much money I could make, how much fun I could have. Instead, I was going to spend my life serving God, walking with God, and being a slave of Jesus Christ. And he said, so I think, in retrospect, God honored the commitment that I made toward him those many years ago. Now, there's an example of somebody who had a right attitude toward God. He was serious about his relationship to God. And then, if we're going to have the right goal in life to know God and to be close to God, we have to have the right attitude towards life. Again, I've already said life is is passing away. Life is very fragile. Life is a gift. We don't know how long any of us will be here. Look down in verse 13 of James chapter 4. James said, come now you who say today or tomorrow we will go to such and such a city, spend a year there, buy and sell and make a profit, whereas you do not know what will happen tomorrow. Now watch this. For what is your life? You say, my life is 85 years to have as much fun as I can have, to have as many experiences as I can have, to go to as many places where I can go. That's what my life is. Well, James says, here's what your life is. Verse 14, it is even a vapor that appears for a little time and then vanishes away. In other words, just like 24-hour fitness has closed down, Baywood Country Club is closed down, the Bank One building is closed down, the Astrodome is, Dome is closed down, one day your life will be closed down. Your earthly life will be closed down. My earthly life will be closed down. And James said, it's a vapor. It appears for a little time, and then it vanishes away. You're here today, and you're gone tomorrow. He says in verse 15, instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we shall live and do this or that. But now you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. In other words, you're saying, here's what I'm going to do with my life. And James said, that's wrong. You've got the wrong act. You're just going along with the world. Your life is a gift from God. Your life is meant to be spent in devotion to God. And then he says in verse 17, therefore, to him who knows to do good and does not do it, to him it is sin. When we think of sins, we think of sins of commission. In other words, sins we commit. Adultery would be a sin. That's something a person can do. We know that's wrong. Lying, that's something we do that we know that's wrong. Stealing is something sometimes people do that's wrong. That's, we think, well, those are sins. If you lie and if you gossip about people and you try to hurt people, these are sins. And they are. But there's a whole other category of sins, and these are called sins of omission. That, that is, things we omit to do, things we should do, and we don't do them. And James says this, to him who knows to do good. In other words, you knew that there was something you should do, and yet for whatever reason, you, you chose not to do it. Well, to you it's a sin. It's a sin of omission, but it is no less a sin at all. And so we have to ask ourselves, is there anything that I know I ought to do that I haven't done? Because if so, that is a sin. It's interesting, in the first service, I got to the end of the sermon, we gave the invitation, and from the very upper level, a lady, two ladies came walking down the aisle, and one of the ladies said, I need to get right with God. She said, I grew up in a 
religious background that was not a Christian background. She said, I've been coming to First Baptist for about a month. And she said, I need, to, I need to ask Jesus Christ to come into my heart. I need to be saved. And she did that. And about an hour and a half ago, she was saved. And so she knew that there was something she needed to do. And so she did it. Now, I just quoted earlier Bill Bright, who said, when he was a young man, he said this. From this day forward, I am a slave of Jesus Christ. Now, let me ask you a question. When, when Bill Bright made that commitment, yes or no, did he do the right thing? Yes or no? Yes. Obviously, he did the right thing. Follow-up question. For you to go home this afternoon, if you've never done that or something like that, to get alone with God just for a few minutes, I don't mean the whole afternoon, but just for a few minutes, to sit down in a chair to get a prayer journal or a notebook or a piece of paper or a blank page on your Bible and for you to write in your own handwriting from your own heart from this day forward I am a slave of Jesus Christ. Now let me ask you a question. Would that be the right thing or the wrong thing for you to do? Be the right thing for all of us to do. Now, here's what I'm saying. You've come to church today, worshiped God, been kind enough to listen to me for the last half hour. Now, let's just play like we dismiss the service now and say, everybody go home and have a good afternoon. You might look back this afternoon and say, you know, I like that service. I like the music. John said some things that kind of were helpful for me. That was interesting what he said about that man. I can't remember his name, but whoever he was, he said as a young man, from this day forward... I'm a slave of Jesus Christ. Wow, he, no wonder God used him so well. If that's all we got out of this experience today, I'm not going to say it would be a waste of time because God's word never returns void. But if that's all we got out of this experience today, it would not be the best use of our time because there's no application to that. That doesn't affect you. But today, if you've never done something like what he did, if you would go home, get alone with God and say, you know, God, I don't even really know the ramifications of this commitment, but I do know this. You're God and I'm not. Jesus has saved me and forgiven me and I belong to Him. And my life is a gift to me from you. And I want to spend my life in such a way that it will matter when I'm gone. And so, God, I may not be as young as I wish I would have been when I would have first done it. But today, I'm starting where I am. From this day forward, I'm a slave of Jesus Christ. You say, well, John, I can't do it when I first get home. The games are all going to be on today. Can't do it now. Let me think about it. Well, you got the wrong view of the world. The world says, hey, go to church, and before you could ever process what you learned, go home and turn the games on. And it's just like the seed is pulled right out of our heart before any application can ever be made. What I'm saying is, I'm not saying don't watch the games. Watch the games. But before you turn the games on today, sit down. If you mean it, look up to God and say, God, you've given me the gift of life. And I want to live my life. You designed me. You know how I'm supposed to function. I want to live my life in such a way that would be pleasing to you. And so, God, from this day forward, I'm a slave of Jesus Christ. 
I am so inspired and so challenged by what Bill Bright did years ago when he just wrote those words out on a piece of paper. From this day forward, I'm a slave of Jesus Christ. And I would encourage you to think about that as you go through this day. And I would encourage you before this day's over, if you mean it in your heart, to get alone with God and whether you write it out or whether you just do it in your heart, but to communicate to God, Lord, from this day forward, I'm your slave and I want my life to count for you. Thank you for listening to Peace by Believing today. I hope this program has been a blessing to you. Hope you have a great week. We'll look forward to being with you next time. Peace by Believing is an extension of the ministry of First Baptist Church in Pasadena, Texas. If you would like to grow in your relationship with God, we have several booklets online for you to read or download. To find them, go to our website, peacebybelieving.org, click on the Spiritual Growth tab, and scroll down to the booklet section. If the ministry of Peace by Believing has been a blessing to you, please email us at info at peacebybelieving.org. We pray that you have a blessed week.